We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 178. You may best know our guest as the German riding instructor. He is hilarious and has found such a great way to combine the intricate knowledge of riding with some lighthearted fun, which who doesn't need that? He is also going to be attending Equitani USA, so it's super exciting for so many people to be able to learn from him this October, but I thought it would be fun to have him on today to talk a little bit about how he got to where he is today. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Ronnie Reamer. Well, I would love to hear about how you kind of found yourself in the equestrian world to begin with. Well, that's actually a funny story because I I used to play ice hockey um, back in Germany, and the ice hockey arena was across the street from the riding place where my mom used to ride. And because with my big back and all that stuff, I didn't really feel like hopping on the bus and driving all the you know, the long way home. So I usually just like crossed the street, hung out there at the at the boarding facility where my mom was. And then I was just like hanging out and waiting until she was done with the stinking horses that were like smelling <laughs> really bad and yeah. the people were weird. And then I just hopped in the car with her and drove home. And at some point, she just had a dressage lesson on her big, I would say like 16, 3, 17 hand dressage horse. And he was a saint. He was really a really lovely big gelding. And she just asked me, she's like, oh, would you like just to walk him out? Like, he's lovely and he's like super nice. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? So we just popped on a helmet. I got on the horse. And basically as a non-equestrian, like when you sit on there, like the first thing you do is like you kind of tense up and you squeeze. And that was his command to like, oh, okay, he puts on leg. He wants me to go faster. (laughs) So like he started then trotting away and I was like panicking. So I squeezed even more. He's like, oh, oh, you mean canter. So he started cantering (laughs) and basically just like a real lopy, slow hand canter. Like he wasn't running off or anything. And like once in the indoor, he turned to the left in the corner. I just lost my balance and I fell off and I was lying in the corner there and everybody was laughing. And I was like, you know what? And I still had that ice hockey mentality. I was like, do you know who I am? You don't throw me off. And I was Uh like, bring him back. I'll do that again. So I brushed myself off. I did it. So I got back on and he slowly started trotting again. He slowly started picking up the canter again. And then the same turn and the same corner. I didn't have any balance and I just fell off. And that happened like three times. And then I told my mom, I was like, you know what? That was stupid. I don't have a stupid horse. Like make me look like an idiot. I'm going to, I'm going to start taking like training lessons until this horse can't throw me off again anymore. And that kind of like was how I started. It kind of was like a little bit because I was like, do you know who I am? Like you don't buck me off. I'm a big time (laughs) ice hockey player. And um, yeah, that's kind of like how I got into the riding in the first place. Wow. That's so funny. So So there's no, there's, so there's no story about like, oh, I loved horses from day one. (laughs) I sat on a horse when I was two years old. You know, they're just my soulmates. Yeah. There's, there's no story behind that. It was more of like an ego trip, which is like, you do not buck me Mm -hmm. off, sir. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. how long did it take or like how many lessons did you take and when did it kind of click for you when did maybe a little bit of like passion grow in there too and not just trying to make sure that you're not going to fall off how, how did that kind of unfold after that point I think it definitely was like at least four five months on the lunch line with like a really strict lady that did like really good up and down lessons at that facility um and yeah it was like it was like at least four months on the lunch line just getting balanced the whole sticking your arms out and lifting your arms and doing all that kind of stuff while walking and then trotting and then i think like month four we started cantering around a little bit and i was still like bouncy bouncy and i think at like the six month mark was where i felt like really really comfortable on the flat work um just 
riding around and and basically holding myself and i think then it was like another three or four months until we started kind of like jumping the first little poles on the ground like if you can call it jumping just like cantering over it and then the first cavalettis and kind of like once we started doing the whole cavaletti work and moved from the flat work into more of a jumping that trainer actually was like hmm he kind of has like a very natural eye on finding his distance like i kind of knew when i had to pull i kind of knew when i had to kick like it kind of came very yeah. natural and i think stuff like that was like hand and eye coordination that i got from ice hockey and then also a little bit of that like swingy hip and looseness from um, actually being really really savvy snowboarding so i think like all these other sports that were like a little bit like balance orientated and then hand and eye coordination that kind of stuff kind of laid a little bit of the foundation to have some sort of understanding in then the equestrian world Interesting. Yeah, I've I've heard about um several sports that I feel like translate well to riding and I'm I'm sure a lot of that has yeah. to do with balance and that hand-eye coordination. Where were you at with ice hockey at this point? I was playing for the U16 team. I was I was 15 years older than I was 14 when that whole riding incident started and then I kind of did like ice hockey and riding parallel for 2 years. And yeah, I played I actually played one year up like as a 15 year old I played in the 16 year old leagues not because I was like a big goal scorer I played defense and not because I was a tall 15 year old I mean I'm 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 5 foot 6 and a half 5 foot 7 I know I think now but I was fast I was really really fast so I could skate backwards faster then our offense player could skate forward. Oh my god. And that's that's kind of the idea why they had me in defense because when we switched from offense to defense I was basically like the blue liner there and as soon as basically the the opposite team got the puck and they transitioned into offense I was the one that basically could from a from a standstill skate backwards so fast and kind of read the game and i was in charge of basically usually i was the goon because i was kind of expendable because i wasn't a very good goal scorer but i was the one that was like short enough to have a hip check take one out uh break up the offense and then all the other guys that were more talented on the stick then basically took over the puck and moved it back into offense at that point interesting so you mentioned that you worked on both riding and ice hockey for about 2 years. At what Parallel, point, yes. At what point were you then did you have to make a decision or like did, I mean was your mom really into you riding or was she like secretly hoping that you'd pick riding? Well, the thing is like I never had to from my parents to say like okay, now it's getting too much. You got to pick either or. I was very fortunate um to grow up in a very supportive household that could basically support both avenues. I still had a lot of fun playing ice hockey, but then also the the athlete in me started getting a little bit more antsy about like, oh, okay, like let's see how far I can take this riding. And then at some point we started getting a little bit of a weird group that that like transitioned into into that ice hockey like like that trainer that was ta- that that had then the team retired and we had a new coach and he brought in like some other players and then the team dynamic kind of broke down to a point where as a teenager I was like nah these guys are like a little bit like a bunch of idiots I really don't enjoy that atmosphere here anymore and also at that same time My mom started going to more horse shows with her horse and did like the meter 10s and the meter 20 jumpers and I basically then was just like the shadow there the groom the setting jumps all that kind of because the system in Europe is a little bit different like you're not handcuffed to your trainer so you can you, you basically go to a weekend show by yourself and then you tell your trainer how it was if it was good or bad and then at home at the training you started working on that kind of stuff again So I was setting jumps I was checking up the horse with her I was holding it while she was walking the course and um at that time 
I started liking the environment of the horse shows pretty much because they were fun. They were entertaining. There was a lot of fuzz and buzz around. There was a lot of spectators. There was a lot of applause. There was a lot of crowd interaction. And that kind of skewed me a little bit from the entertainment side that I love to pursue. Um, so all this applause and all this admiration from the crowd towards the athletes in the ring kind of then sparked a little bit of more interest. And I think which what also helped pushing me a little bit more into the Christian side was that the team atmosphere at the ice hockey started fizzling out a little bit. So like there was not that much where I was like, oh my God, I, bo I love both equally. You know, like the, the atmosphere of the horse industry started catching on fire a little bit more, mm -hmm. but then also like not having that much fun in, in the hockey team anymore kind of made that decision really, really, really easy for myself. So I didn't need a lot of outside interference or outside people that pushed me in whatever direction. It kind of started coming together organically. And at that point, as, as a guy, as a, as a 15, 16 year old guy in the horse industry, in a sport that is dominated by a lot of females, that was also where I was like, hmm, there's a lot of pretty girls out here at the horse shows. This and isn't I'm so like bad. one of the few. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, and I'm one of the few guys here. I was like, maybe that's the place to be here, you know? Um, and that kind of what then sparked me away was like, you know what? Maybe I want to try to do this competitively. Let's try to make this work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah. Let's be the little rooster in this huge cube of hands. <laughs> That's great. I love it. As you were kind of growing up in the horse world, kind of learning and developing, what were some moments that you kind of like look back on as high points and, and kind of highlights? And what do you feel like were some learning moments or some struggles that you feel like you had to get through to get to where you are now? What I really have to say is the, the team dynamic between my mom and me basically were supporting each other and mm -hmm. my mom at that point with a little bit of more knowledge because she has been doing it like quite longer at that point than I had but then also the the parental kind of like dynamic was sometimes a good thing sometimes a bad thing sure. it, like looking back at it I'm like, oh man, what a stinking brat you've been sometimes, you know? <laughs> because when your parents say something, you're like, rah, 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 yeah, you're not my trainer, you're not that, you know? Like right. you, you kind of don't really value the input. And looking back at it now, I'm like, oh man, my mom knew what she was talking about at that point, and I was just a brat, you know? And um, like a real, like a low points that I had in the beginning was still my ice hockey attitude that I brought into the equestrian world. Sure. There's like <clears throat> little, little egoistic, like that one guy that can make stuff happen, you know, like not really seeing my horse as a teammate, but more as like an accessory to the, to the sport. Like that, I think was what really hindered me. And that was something that really frustrated my mom, like right in the beginning that I was like, like if stuff didn't work out, I was like, I, I was very quick on blaming the horse and wasn't like being mad at the horse because I didn't see the bigger picture at that point. Like I didn't see that like 99% of what the horse is doing wrong is miscommunication from the rider. I wasn't there mentally at that point. Um, and I remember like a real low point where I was like so mad at the horse for having like a rail or two or something like that that I got out of the out of the ring and I was like pulling on the reins and kicking in the ribs and I was so mad. And in the in gate, my mom grabbed the horse, pulled me off the horse, whacked the shit out of me with the <laughs> with the with the jumping crop, and then just left me at the in gate and walked away with the horse and said, no like, way. you do not deserve to ride. And like all my friends at that point were like standing around the in gate and I was so embarrassed that she stood me up like that retrospectively i think i was mad for a day but i think the next day it kind of clicked where i was like you know what that that was a real shit move like i really do not deserve 
to ride at that point if I keep behaving like that. And I think that moment where she beat the snot out of me in the in gate was where I was, where, where, where it was a tipping point where like all these negative moments that I created myself with the horse kind of then started fading away and where my eyes were open and where I was like, you know what, I, I think I'm not in the position to judge the horse, you know, like I'm still so green behind my ears. I need to develop more as a rider to make an informed decision. What did I do wrong? What went wrong rather than just trying to blame the horse? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Probably an, uh, an event that wouldn't fly today, but I'm glad that you <coughs> got a lot out of it and was able to kind of flip yeah. that switch. Unfortunately, unfortunately, an event that doesn't fly that well these days anymore, because like looking at some of the horse shows, I think a lot of kids should be pulled off the horse in mm-hmm. the in gate and get an ass whooping. Yeah. You know, yep. I kind of miss that a little bit. I have to say that is some, I think sometimes like, man, I wish, I wish my mom would be here. I would just point her in a direction yeah. and say, like, beat <laughs> that, that one. That one. Beat this one. <laughs> that one. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. At what point? Appreciation you- for the horse is what, oh, what yeah. I learned out of that, you know? Absolutely. At what point were you, you know, riding and learning more and kind of thought about, you know, maybe I'll do this for the rest of my life. Maybe this will be a big part of my life, my career. Was it a little bit later on or kind of at that age were you already thinking that that was a big possibility? Never thought about it in the beginning. Um, because like in Europe, as a, as, a, as a horse trainer, rider, there is not such a high financial market as it is here mm-hmm. unless you are really at the olympic level like the big big grand prix level and the problem in germany is like riding is so accessible and and affordable to the masses that if i compare it to the united states out of a hundred you have five guys that are going to be really really good at the right. grand prix level and in Germany, out of 100, you almost could have like 50, 55, or 60 that have the talent and the means to be a good Grand Prix rider. So going through there is, is much, much harder. I think, I think I only started really thinking about making it a business once we moved to the United States. And I saw how the business is basically set up here because the difference is in Europe, it's, 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 it's handled like a sport. And like everything around it, our federation handles it like a sport. Our trainers handle it like a sport. The show venues handle it as a sport. We're comparing it to the United States. It's, it's not a sport. It's a business. And, 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 it, and it is a business that trickles down. The federation, like Yusef, is, is not a sports federation. It is a business federation that has the interests of show organizers in mind. The show organizers, they don't do it to present, uh, not all of, like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to push everybody in the same drawer, but the majority of them, they run it as a business, you know? Like, if, right. you, compare, if you compare the financial gain of a horse show in the United States towards some horse shows in, in Europe that run it just to break even, but have it as a, as a, spectacle like an annual spectacle at their facility where they say like okay this is my business card that that is what i put out here to get borders to get students into this facility there's a different mindset behind that so once i started seeing that all run as a business and you actually can make a living off of it because you just have a different dynamics towards the horse shows towards your students and like the biggest difference that i'm that i that i noticed here and it always still gives me the heebie-jeebies when i hear it when when trainers talk about their customers where i'm like this this is the biggest this is the biggest inclination to me that it is run as a business because i i don't see them as customers i see them as students because because i still see it as a sport and i want to train my students to become better horsemen and better riders at the horse show. Like I don't, I don't see them as customers, but this is basically like the terminology where you can make the distinct break to say, okay, this is a sport and this is a business, you know, like 
In Europe, you have students and riders and owners. And here in the United States, you have customers. You know, a customer is always king. And that's how the business is run here in the States. Yeah, that's a good point. What, what brought you to the U.S.? I was fed up with horse riding. I had bad experience with bad owners in, in Germany. I sold my tech trunk. I sold my horses. I sold everything I owned that had to do with horses. And I pursued professional wrestling. Wow. Oh. Well, there's a quiet moment, isn't there? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like there's a story behind that. So how did that come to be? Ah, there's a... Yeah, well, there's there's a big story behind it. Like like I said, like I was fed up with with the horses. I had bad experience. One of my sponsors died of a heart attack, and his wife, that never was that supportive about that sport, anyways, then kind of like sold the horses like in two days away from underneath me, and I was I was done at that point. And I then pursued different stuff, event management, and and I owned a bar in Germany and that kind of stuff and um, I was always a fan of professional wrestling just because of I've always been a sports guy and an, and a very athletic guy in everything I did but I also always loved the entertainment part like I always was like the class clown and I always was the first one that go on stage and do karaoke or tell jokes and that kind of stuff so then when professional wrestling like was on TV, I was sitting on the couch with my wife Chanel and I was watching it and I was a huge fan. I was always a huge fan of like WWE. And then I looked at it and I was like, you know what? That looks like fun. I think I could do it. And then at that point, <laughs> she knew that I was like frustrated with what was going on at that point. And she's like, then why don't you do it? And I looked at her and I was like, what do you mean? She's like, do it. So then I, I started picking up contacts in Germany about like like professional wrestling in Germany. And there was a there was a company in Germany that did professional wrestling. And I, when I went there for training for like three months, and then they had a clinician actually from the United States, Nigel McGuinness, who was signed with the WWE at one point. And then he said, like, look, you might not be the tallest guy, but like they don't look at these like seven foot tall guys anymore. They just look at guys that are charismatic. They are eloquent. They can pick up a microphone and they can connect with the crowd because that's what it's all about. You know, you're selling yourself to the crowd. And um, he said, but if you really want to do it, you have to do it in the United States because that is the biggest market. So then I started looking in, okay, where can I do it? Where can I start? And at that point, WWE had a developmental called FCW in Tampa. And a friend of mine was riding for a Canadian Olympic, Hugh Graham, here in Ocala during the winter circuit. And then he called me and said, like, look, he actually is looking for um, somebody that could help throughout the winter. And then I was like, you know what? That like I can use <clears throat> I can use the horse industry that I'm very familiar with just to make some money to then support going to these training facilities and start picking up the craft of professional wrestling. And long story short, I did it for six years. But while I was doing the professional wrestling, the horse industry kind of like still paid the bills and everything here in Ocala. And the more I spent time in the horse industry here in the United States, I more started liking it again and kind of like getting into it again. And then at some point, I started getting back into sales. Then I started getting back into training. I still tried to stay away from riding myself. But then at, at that one place that I was working, I was helping. I was helping one girl ride some horses, and then she had some problems. And at some point, I was like, "Look, I can't watch this anymore. Just let me get on." And then I rode it. I jumped it. She liked it. She's like, "Where did you learn how to ride?" And I was like, "Well, I actually rode for the German Nations Cup team as a junior and young rider." And I was riding for Franke Slotak, which is like one of the biggest Olympic names in the German history. Yeah. And she's like, I didn't know that. And I was like, well, I never advertised it. And I actually never wanted to ride again. But then I kind of got in contact with big dealers that then asked me if I can ride some of their horses. And then I started like doing catch rides here back and forth and whatever. And that's how I kind of got back into it. And then like the horsey virus started kicking in again. And then since then I was like, okay, like I really think I can make it a business here in the States. 
And that's when I started getting back into writing, teaching, clinics, and kind of started all that again. And then in 2017, we bought a property and built our farm here in Ocala. And yeah, business, business and horse riding has been the most fun, I think, than it has ever been. Wow, that's, a, that's such a unique story. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you are a full-fledged equestrian and I love you for it, but who of us wouldn't want to experience a full weekend in Lexington, Kentucky at the Kentucky Horse Park where you can learn, you can be entertained, you can shop for all things equestrian industry. That sounds perfect, right? Well, this year, October 1st through 3rd, the Kentucky Horse Park is hosting Equitana USA, the very first Equitana event in the United States. It's a huge event over in Europe, so I am so happy that we now have one in the US. There will be trade shows. There will be amazing entertainment events. There will be some fantastic clinics with some of our top trainers and riders in the industry. So to find out more information and to grab your tickets while you can, visit their website at EquitanaUSA.com. That's E-Q-U-I-T-A-N-A-U-S-A.com. Again, those dates are October 1st through the 3rd at the Kentucky Horse Park. Tickets are as low as $27 for adults, $10 for kids and you can audit clinics you can see everything you need to see at this amazing weekend event you can also be a part of the clinics as a rider so find out more information on their website and how you can get plugged in in that way as well and get the full experience at Equitana USA again that website is EquitanaUSA.com all right let's head back to the episode I feel like a lot of people know you as the German riding instructor. I mean, do you, do you get that a lot? I yes. feel like you have the viral videos. Tell me a little bit about how that came to be. So the, the, the concept that we had right in the beginning was like we, we bought a bunch of horses in Germany with my contacts and with the facility that we have still in Germany with Heiko Scholl. And then we brought him over for the winter. We showed them here. We sold them here. And the winter kind of was then like open for travel. And we didn't have much horses in the barn other than my wife's private horse or if I had a private horse. And then one summer, I think we just had Bucky, just Chanel's horse in the barn. And I was bored out of my mind. And I have to say, like, I always, like, when we started building the business RCR equestrian here in the States, I was, like, very careful because, like, people are very sensitive and they get offended very easily. And I'm a very outspoken person. Like, I think if you meet me first, you're like, ooh, what a douchebag. But, <laughs> like, the more you get to know me, you're like, ah, he's actually not that bad. At uh-huh. least I know where I am with him, you know? And um, then at some point I was like, man, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to have fun here. And either people like it or they don't. And the people that don't like it, they don't fit into my profile anyways. You know, kind of like your vibe attracts your tribe. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say what I want to say. I'm just going to be outspoken the way I want to be. And then the people that don't like it, I don't need in my inner circles anyways. And the people that do like it, these are the ones I would be connecting on a personal level with anyways. And I had so much time on my hands in the summer. And then we just started just like, just bullshitting around, just like making random videos. And then I came up with like the German riding instructor. And it was actually that we were sitting on a porch and, um, we we were thinking about like a like a advertisement video on how to get more students and that's also when then the german accent started kicking in and like the very first idea that we actually had for the german riding instructor before we even had the name the german riding instructor was an advertising video where we said are you suffering from bad riding don't you know where to go from here is the American riding not very good for getting ribbons? Maybe you need to switch to a German trainer. We can make your riding very unshitty and make it very good. And that was kind of like, and we started rolling with that. And then it just got stupider and more stupid and more stupid. 
And then I went to Wellington with just one horse. So again, I had a lot of time on my hands just to come up with like random stuff. And then I just started shooting like off the cuff videos with like the dancing palm trees and the Oprah Winfrey rings in Wellington and all that kind of stuff. And then it started picking up like a lot. And like, I also got a lot of hate on the internet. Oh, he's not even a real German and that kind of stuff, you know? And when mm, I made yeah. some fun about the hunter riders, like they all got their knickers in a knot. I was like, so what? I sell jumpers, you know, I'm not uh -huh. losing any business anyways. Right. And it just organically just, just started growing from there to a point where I was like, Man, if I would have known how much fun that is and how much support I'm getting from the equestrian industry and how many people actually say, you know what, that was really what was missing in the industry, like just a little bit of lighthearted humor and not always being so stuck up. I was like, man, I would have done that from the get go because that is like the German riding instructor, like apart from the accent. That is really who I am. Like mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of <laughs> BS that comes out on a on a <laughs> random basis. And um, and then the other thing that we that we always like to do was like the Q and A's. And then when I did the Q and A's with Rowan Willis at the World Equestrian Center, I mean, everything was just organically. Like first of all, he was two hours late, like usual. Like Rowan never shows up on time. And then basically like all the questions came in, like, like Rowan, neither Rowan nor I saw the questions beforehand. And there was a lot of live questions oh, wow. coming in at that point. Cool. So like all of that was like very organically. And I think like, I just love like bullshitting with Rowan because he has such a dry humor where you have like this, like split second of a pause in your brain where you're like, what, what? Oh, get it, you know, <laughs> and this type of humor is just the one that cracks me up and like just stuff like that came so organically. And then every once in a while, I, I like Chanel was in the barn doing her horse and I come in with my camera stand and with the wig and this and that. And she, oh, dear, what are you coming up with now? And then I did the sponsor video. Then I did the, the, the feed video and then I did the trainer video. And mm -hmm. like a lot of the stuff just came off the cuff. Which I have to say, I really miss doing these videos, but it's kind of like a catch-22 because the videos generated so much good business for me for, from a training standpoint, from, from a clinic standpoint, from a riding standpoint and a sales standpoint that I'm so busy now that I'm like, oh man, I have so many ideas, but I have no idea when to do these videos. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like a catch 22. I still want to do the videos. And a lot of people say like, hmm, did that guy die? Is he still around? You know? <laughs> and, and I still would like to fulfill the need of like that funny German writing instructor character. But sometimes like after I spent like 14 hours at a show, I'm like, I'm branded. Mm -hmm. Like, I, like I have, I have nothing. I have nothing to contribute now. You know, where when we just had one horse, man, like that creativity. I came up with stupid moments because, like I said, like I had, I had nothing to do at that point. Mm -hmm. I feel that way too with with my stuff with the podcast, and then I have a lifestyle platform, my equestrian style, and I feel like when I have a when I have a couple of courses, you know, in my program, like great. I can knock out a bunch of content. I can be, you know, doing videos, doing some podcast interviews. And this last week, three or four more, you know, show horses in my program. And like I don't even think I touched my computer or my camera or like went on social media. Yeah. I was just, you know, you just get swamped and it's, if there's not enough hours in the day. It is. Yeah. And I mean, we, we hired a social media girl now that like does a lot of our content Oh, nice! and she does a great job for RCR and the journal writing instructor. But at this point, especially also with the sponsors, you know, like when, like when I get a sponsor, I only take sponsors where I say like, yes, I tried this product for so long. This is what I, f this is how I feel about it. And then I'm really behind it. And then we really do a lot of like sponsor appreciation and like our social media, like we tag them, we do stories about them and that kind of stuff. So, you know, that it's a win-win for everybody. So she, she does a really, really good on the business side of the social media. But then again, for the German writing instructor to create more funny content, she still needs me, you know? Right. So, 
I have her now to cover that. And now I just need to kind of get like a really strict plan where I say, okay, this time is complete. Like I, I put nothing in this window and then just create content because I, I just right. want to get out there again with the German writing instructor. It was always so much fun. And then yeah. just sometimes like lying in bed and reading through the comments just made my day. Like how, like, Sometimes <laughs> like the comments are sometimes funnier than the video, oh, you yeah. know, you, you just created oh, um, and just connecting with the people on, on that base. is just, it's fun. It's organic and it's real. Absolutely. Next month, I know word on the street is you are going to be at Equitana. Tell me a little bit about yes. that event and what you plan to do there. So Nicole Forbes from Equitana was the one that contacted me right in the beginning when they had plans on putting Equitana in place in the United States. And um, I was super excited because in Germany, I grew up with Equitana. Equitana right. was twice a year. It was massive. It's huge. It, I yeah. mean, it, it's, it's the, like if, if you remotely have anything to do with horses, Equitana is the place to be and it doesn't matter if you're hunter jumper western dressage arabian thoroughbred any like equitana is just the place to be it's it's for shopping it's for education it's for mental stimulation with with the forums that they have and the q a's it's to meet people to broaden your spectrum learn more buy more stuff. So I was super excited when they, when they called me with the opportunity to give a jumping clinic there. And we're going to be, we're going to be there. We're going to have an RCR booth where we can have like meet and greet, talk about what we're doing and, and, you know, help people with questions that they have. And then Friday and Saturday, we have three sessions per day for the jumper clinic in the, in the outside stadium. Needless to say, I've never been to Kentucky Horse Park ever. Really? Like I never made it there. All the years I've been in in the United States, I never made it to the Kentucky Horse Park. So I'm very excited also oh, yeah. to be at that facility. And it's um, such a great time of year to be there. Oh man, it is. It is. So I'm very, very excited. So I have. I don't have my my schedule yet. I just know that we have a morning session, around about a noon session, and an afternoon session for Friday and Saturday. And then the Retired Racehorse Project actually reached out and asked me if I would be interested to work with one of their horses on Sunday and give them insights oh, on nice. my approach on how I would start looking at a racehorse for a new new career and what my training tools would be. So I'm super excited um, to see what kind of horse I have, how it's going to turn out. Um, but I spoke to Nicole. We already have a bunch of applicants uh, for the jumper clinic, but I think there might be one or two more spots available. And I think it's only open for one more week. I think till the end of the week, she said. So we're definitely, we're definitely going to have a lot of fun there. I'm super, super excited. Oh, and I'm so super cool. excited actually about the forums and the Q and A's that I'm scheduled. Because as you can tell, I really like to talk. I really I like it. to hear my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> you make <laughs> a great a, podcast and guest. <laughs> and, I, and I'm a German. I have an opinion about everything. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well, tell me about an area of the industry that you are super passionate about mm. that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about. Grassroots grassroots development of horse and riders grassroots shows local shows unrated unsanctioned low good good local shows what i noticed here in the united states if if you want to go to the horse show and you want to be competitive it is really expensive and almost not affordable for the normal middle class people. I mean, just a show bill of a thousand dollars a week. I mean, right. that is a that is a chunk, you know. So, what I'm missing here a little bit is the yeah, just the grassroots shows, like little local shows with good footing, good jumps, good courses, fun entertainment where, like, normal horse owners they don't need to have these 
super fancy imported warm bloods for a hundred thousand dollars they can have their thoroughbred of the track that has a second job and yeah. likes to do the 60 70 80 centimeters but people like that don't really have a base like they where where are they gonna go they can't go to hits they can't go to the world equestrian center they can't go to the kentucky horse park or colorado or thermal it, it's it's way out of their league it's way out of their budget local grassroots shows that give a platform for the people that either can't afford the big big shows but still want to be competitive or that riding wise and and horse knowledge wise are on the way to the rated shows but are also not there yet that there is sure. some sort of a stepping stone where people can go and just have fun and if they have a rail they have a rail it doesn't cost them 500 the dollars that one rail you know what i mean mm -hmm. just something where you can go you you enjoy your weekend there's music there's drinks there's food you know and there's just a great fun atmosphere also helps networking that some people say like you know what i really like the way this lady trained this girl and i have no trainer right now because i i'm new to all this i would like to get connected with her and and you know maybe she True. can help me you know just like just building grassroots from a financial standpoint but also from an educational standpoint definitely and i think that that's so mm -hmm. important for for a rider and for family but even also just if you have a young horse that you're just wanting to get some extra miles on and not having to do that at WEF or WEC or you know kentucky to be able to have places yeah. where yeah like you were saying the footing is still good and the jumps are good but it can get some miles without you know, completely breaking the bank. Exactly. And out of that passion, and, and it's funny that you asked about what my passion is and, and what I think is a little bit undervalued and what people need to know more about. Out of that idea, another couple, Mark and Michelle Stopford from Hartford Farm. They're two South Africans that also have a hunter jumper sales barn here in Ocala. And because my wife is South African, we kind of came together became really, really good friends. And they were just as passionate about that idea. And we founded the local champions tour together. So we kind of took a little bit of a, of a, like a little name jab towards the global champions tour, but it's the local champions tour for our cool. local kids, local adults, local competitors, and our website, localchampionstour.org. We have once a month horse shows, very affordable, no office fee, no shipping fee, no this fee, no that fee. You just pay your class 50. We have cross rails, 50, 60, 70, and 80 centimeters. And these all, the first three places all have prices. And then 90s, meter, meter 10, and meter 20 have price money, actually. So the first three wow. make more money than their entry would cost. And, um, we do after every class, we do a prize giving ceremony in the ring with pictures and lap of honor to music. So oh, cool. everybody really feels like a little local champion. And we have so much fun. It's basically just a four man show, you know? It's it's Mark. Mark is is amazing designing jumps, setting courses, and like the whole jump outfit and look, and he's a magician and on prepping the footing. Michelle is the perfect public relations person. She is the calmest person I ever meet. Like if something would drive me crazy, Michelle is the, the, the rock in the storm that says like, relax, Ronnie, I got this. And, Everyone you know, needs and that. Then, <laughs> and, and Michelle is really the person that we all need because like Mark is an Aquarius, Chanel is an Aquarius. I'm a cancer, so if shit hits the fan, we're all like, ah! <laughs> and then Michelle is the one that says, like, I got this. Uh -huh. And then Michelle and Chanel are running the in-gate. Mark is in charge of the ring. And then because I'm a little bit more tech-savvy, I'm the one that sits, sits in the judge's box, and I do the, 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 the judging with the program of counting the rails and times and the music and announcement. And it basically is just a four-man show but we have such a great support from local trainers 
and and local businesses that started sponsoring classes where we were overwhelmed because that is basically like every sponsorship money we're getting goes into prize money so we have local trainers that supported us from day one that were basically just like friends of ours that say like you know what i think it's a great idea here's a check and then they started buying packages and from there the whole thing grew into something really really fun so if you if on facebook or instagram you go to lct shows local champions tour shows you can see the facebook page and there are some live videos from a bike and ride class and from a mini pre it is hilarious people are having so much fun and on the flip side that is what gives mark Michelle, Chanel, and I, so much fun. Just seeing the smile on the kids when they're like, what, I can do a lap of honor to music? You know, it, yeah. it's their highlight. Yeah, absolutely. Are those shows, do they fill up pretty fast now? Yes, yes. We like, we like, the, okay, the summer was a little bit more quiet because I mean, it's, it's treacherous to ride in the summer oh, in yeah. Florida. If Unless you are at WEC and you are scheduled to ride in the, uh, uh, the what's it called the the climate controlled indoor arena sure but, yeah so the summer we were still super happy with the entries but you can't compare it to our like september october november december and january entries you know in the winter we even had to cap off our entries we calculated like how many entries can we get through the day without running into darkness and like we had a couple of shows where we were like "Ooh, this is getting tight here and mm -hmm. um but because it's just a one ring show, we don't have ring conflicts. Nobody needs to wait for a trainer. Like we have set start times of the classes. We have set orders of go. It almost runs like a, like a tiny mini Grand Prix, you know? Um, yeah. You have the start time, you have the orders of go, and then everybody knows this is when I ride. This is when I'm going to be back home. You know, so there's no hurry up and wait, sitting around, not knowing what you do, which makes it easier on a just a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right. one ring show. Definitely. And I think it really takes it takes a, a small group of people who have been a part of the horse world and understand how a horse show, you know, like should be run and how to run it smoothly. And then to kind of incorporate that into the, those lower levels because I think that is often a disconnect when you when you see smaller shows, schooling shows, unrated shows is even more so, I have found in my experience, you're, it's just, it's even more so like a hurry up and wait and you're there for a ridiculous amount of hours before <laughs> before you show. And so I think, I think the yeah. way that you guys have found a way to coordinate it so smoothly is probably another part of why that is so successful. I think also our international knowledge played a big, big sure. part in it oh, because yeah. Mark and Michelle traveled to international shows all over the world. Chanel and I, we were in Germany riding with international riders and traveling to international shows. And you kind of start picking up all the really good, nice things at these shows that you like. And I have to say, it was a, it was a, it was a big educational step for us as well, because we are running our shows like almost like an FEI show. You know, you need to have your entries in the Tuesday before the show starts. Mm -hmm. There is no flipping around and this and that. I mean, if you have a really bad round, we allow like ads on the day that you say like, mm, can I do a mulligan or something like that? Um, but other than that, it was a lot of almost like customer education that came with it because they were like, oh, we, what do you mean? We need to have our entries in. What do you mean? This is a posted order. Like, uh, duh, 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 duh. And then also what we did, we said like, okay, Friday schooling day, that's fine. But Saturday, Sunday, it is the local champions tour. So formal horse show attire is required. You mm -hmm. know, like we yeah. give prizes, we give money, we have a lap of honor, we have a lot of fun and, and big coverage. So we want you to be just as respectful to the sport as we are to you. And in the beginning, people were like, oh, do I really need to bring a jacket? Do I really need to wear my white shirt? Mm -hmm. that, that these were the first two, three shows. Now, there's not even a discussion. Like even when we're waving jackets on a hot day, people still put their jacket on because they're like, the pictures look so much cooler and it looks so much better on the video. 
where I'm like, exactly. That's what mm-hmm. we're trying to tell you, exactly. you know? Yep. And totally. um, it was a little bit hard to get, you know, the new system into the American system where it is like ring conflict. I wait for my trainer. They're holding the ring, hurry up and wait, that kind of stuff. Right. And people were like stressed out the first show. They're like, oh shit, I'm third to go. I'm, st- I, I'm still not ready. I haven't jumped yeah. yet. And we yeah. were like a little bit easy on it. But now like, like our, our really solid supporting base, man, they're on it. They're like, cuck, cuck, cuck. And in the beginning, they, they kept texting Chanel and Michelle and Inge. Do you still think 12 o'clock for the meter class and this and that? They don't even text anymore because like for all the shows that we have run, we haven't started a single class later than we announced on the schedule. Wow. That's a huge deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that needs a German to make schedule, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but if you run it like that, you know, uh-huh. they, like why would there be waiting time? Like, especially, like I said, like you can't do that on, on a big facility where you have, as, as one trainer, you have three kids in this ring, two kids there, two adults here, and one in that international ring. You know, you, you, you can't be perfectly on time at all the rings. But like this one ring show, you have nowhere else to be other than in this ring. So mm-hmm. it works out great. Wow. Well, that's so exciting. I'm so happy that you have created an environment for people to really get a full, exciting experience of showing and and really be able to instill that love for the sport. Yeah. It is a pain in the ass to run them. And these (laughs) weekends and these days are getting really, really, really long. And they are exhausting. But like on a Sunday afternoon when the last rider finishes and you kind of just recap on all the smiles and all the sponsors that keep calling and say like, man, you guys do such a great coverage for us and the banners and the announcements, you know, it's really rewarding. And at the end of the day, when we were at WEC, there were a couple of people that I noticed from the local champions tour that came to Mark and Michelle and Chanel and me and said like, Guys, if it wouldn't have been for the local champions tour in the off season, I wouldn't be ready to be at WEC now. Wow. Where I'm like, there you go. That was yeah. the whole reason why we, you know, grassroots, totally. grassroots. We need more grassroots support. Love it. Well, Ronnie, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with me and, and kind of showing what a little bit about what you've done and what you're doing now. It's some incredible things. I'm excited to see what you do at Equitana and I just wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Beth, for having me. I really, really appreciate you taking me in consideration and listening to all my millions and millions of words that I like <laughs> to throw out there into the universe. I love it. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.